0: Hello and welcome to the latest MDD claims interview under the microscope. Today, we have Charlie Bush from Zurich. Hello, Charlie. Hi Barry. So Charlie, you're following in the footsteps here of Martin Clark. I'm sure he'll be listening in to see how well you perform. So let's get on with it. My first question is pretty standard. How did you come to be in the insurance industry?
1: Well, Barry, I think probably like most people you've interviewed, I didn't plan to come into insurance, if I'm honest. I left university in the summer of 2005 and I originally wanted to go into shipbroking, S-H-I-P, as I've had to do with many people. And as I was kind of going through that process of, of trying to get into that industry, I met a number of people and was also fortunate enough to get a couple of interviews. It was probably a convenient way of that industry saying that they didn't like me or want me in the industry. But they said that the time of when I was applying for those roles, the business was absolutely booming. uh, And that what they didn't want to do is take somebody off of the desk to train up someone who had no knowledge. And they suggested that I probably came back the next year when things had calmed down. And so I suppose I had two choices. One was to either go home and live with my parents for nine months whilst I waited for the market to perhaps be more conducive to enabling me to join that industry, or I could have got off my backside and tried to get a job doing something different. So I went back to a couple of the folks who I'd spoken to whilst kind of understanding the shipbroking industry in a bit more detail. And I asked them what the next best industry to get into would be in order that I could then transfer my skills back to shipbroking when things got a bit better in terms of trying to get a job. And they told me that marine insurance was probably the next closest thing. So I remember kind of scratching my head at home and wondering how on earth I was going to get into this thing called marine insurance, which I really had no knowledge of. Although my cousin had actually joined Marsh about nine months earlier, and he seemed to be having an amazing time going to the cricket and playing golf and all sorts of other things. So there were a number of things which greatly appealed to me. And I remember sitting down with my dad one day and saying, you know, how am I going to get a job in marine insurance? And he said, well, I tell you what you should do. You should write letters directly to the CEOs of a number of these Lloyd's syndicates. And again, I didn't really have much of an idea what a Lloyd's syndicate was at the time. And that I should hand deliver these letters because it would make more of an impression So I then remember writing these letters or typing the letters and then traipsing the streets of London and hand delivering them to the secretaries in the various Lloyd syndicates at the time. And I remember meeting a chap called Ewan Gilmore, who was the CEO of the Chaucer syndicate, who came out of his office to take the letter that I had written to him and him saying to me, in a couple of weeks time, we've got our inaugural graduates assessment day. And seeing as you've put in the effort that you've put in to come and Hand deliver a letter. I will tell you that you can come to the assessment centre, and uh, and I suppose the rest is history. I went to the assessment centre. I got a job, and I was one of the first three people at the time to get onto the Chaucer Graduate Scheme, which wasn't particularly well organised. And I suppose I spent much of my time working in the claims function. And at the time, there was also a project which was the Lloyd's Claims Minimum Standards. You, you may remember it even. And so one of the projects I was put on was to try to kind of do a bit of an assessment as to where Chaucer was against the Lloyd's claims minimum standards. And then over time I became more involved in actually handling claims. And then there was the hurricane season. And I suppose before I really even knew it, I was handling claims which were way above my authority level and frankly the level of capability that I had at the time. But we were relatively understaffed compared with the number of claims which we had received at the time. And I've never really looked back and 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 actually I suppose given all of the opportunities that I've been so fortunate to have had during my now 15, 16 or so years in insurance, I genuinely have never looked back to to moving to the shipbroking industry. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time in, in insurance so far and hope to have a long career ahead of me. So Charlie, that's really interesting.
0: I I can't really say you're quite the same as all my other interviewees who actually had no plan whatsoever and ended up in insurance. You did sort of have a plan and your plan was to get into insurance to go into something else or to get into insurance to go and watch cricket. And it seems as though you failed on both of those fronts. Or or am I wrong? Are you watching plenty of cricket?
1: I I think um, this is an industry where Occasionally, when you just look back at the opportunities that you get to go to cricket matches, I've only ever been to Lords on corporate days. I've played some of the best golf courses in the country and and actually further afield as well as a consequence of working in insurance. I've had dinners in restaurants which you could only dream of you know I've had dinner in the Houses of Parliament, and had a private tour of the House of Lords and the House of Commons. I just think this is such an incredible industry to still be one of the few remaining businesses where there are still face to face relationships, which is so important to to what we do. And we can come on to talking a little bit about that. And and I do believe that the industry is changing. But, you know, there, there are just so many fantastic opportunities that come about from working in insurance. And it's an industry which I would encourage anybody leaving school or, or university to look into because I think it's a great career. So what you're telling me is your plan work pretty well then? Yeah, so far it's worked quite well. Okay,
0: right, let's move on. So tell us, what's it like working for Zurich?
1: I'm not going to intentionally give you a, a partisan response, but genuinely it's a fantastic business to work in. I've been at Zurich now for eight or so years and again have have thoroughly enjoyed it. I think what sets Zurich apart from many other businesses is that whilst a lot of other organisations talk about wanting to be customer-focused or even saying that they are customer-focused. Zurich genuinely is a business which is truly focused on delivering for its customers. And that whole approach starts right from the very top with the group CEO. And then it's disseminated right down through the business. We're a country-first model. So we have a relatively small head office function in Switzerland, and the countries are very much left to their own devices and are given autonomy to run their own business centers recognizing that the countries understand their customers and the regulatory environment better than anybody else does. And I suppose from a claims perspective, our Zurich claims commitment is a really good example of this. It's a global approach to claims management, but then it's equally tailored to each of the countries recognizing our customers' expectations and then also the regulatory landscape. And recently, I suppose another example, very much a UK focused example, which I think everybody's really proud of is the Zurich support services, which we've relatively recently launched, which you may have seen in the industry press that recognizes the psychological impact of suffering a loss for a customer and what we're doing to be able to support customers in in that way. I'm also hugely passionate about trying to move this industry forward and working for an organization like Zurich, where we just have so many other departments and people with amazing skill sets at our disposal that are focused on automation, AI, innovation, all of those sorts of things. It's really high up our agenda. I've been asked the question in the past as to whether you would prefer to work in a small business or a large business. I mean, people would tend to suggest that the larger the business, the slower it moves. But that hasn't been my experience of of being within Zurich. And in the business, the size that Zurich is, there is genuinely a huge amount of opportunity, be that to move overseas or to move sideways in your career or to be promoted within the function that you're in. There are stacks of things which are great. We're leading the way in a huge number of issues which are hugely meaningful to society as a whole. And as a business like Zurich, people want to hear our views and at a global level that kind of applies to things like the World Economic Forum. But then equally in our own country in the UK, we're a very loud voice in terms of things like climate change, flood resilience the latest planning reforms, the building safety bill, all of these sorts of things where, again, if you want to become involved in trying to shape the agenda on these sorts of issues, responding to government consultations on these sorts of issues as well, there's an amazing opportunity to become involved in that. And I think we've got plenty of people in our organisation that several years ago never anticipated being an expert in in any of those topics And I suppose, finally, it'd probably be remiss to not mention our approach to sustainability. And this is another initiative which is very much being led from the top of our organisation, be that in relation to climate change and sustainability from an environmental perspective, or also sustainability in terms of our workforce and making sure that we have a workforce that is fit for the future.
0: I think it's really good stuff to hear, Charlie. There's a school of thought that there are some insurers out there who think this is all just about some words written on a piece of paper. But it's good to hear that Zurich recognises it's actually about not just the words written on the piece of paper, it's about real people with real issues and how can you help them. And if there were any consumers or customers or clients who were listening in on this, I think they feel pretty happy to hear that you see this job as more than just the words, as I say, written down on a piece of paper. Let's move on to something That I'm sure has been incredibly challenging over the last year or so. You've been right in the middle of Zurich's response to COVID. How challenging has that been for you?
1: I think one's got to be realistic about this. I mean, it's been hugely challenging, but I've had a job and and I've been busy from nine to five and many hours beyond that. And I think, you know, it's been an awful lot harder for many of the businesses across the country that have suffered enormously from the pandemic and businesses which have sadly had to shut down or where staff have been furloughed. And and these are these people's livelihoods. So I suppose that is genuinely at the front and centre of everybody's mind within our organisation. And I'm quite sure that that's how the insurance industry views it as a whole. I suppose if I take a step back and reflect on the last 18 months, very much from a personal perspective, I've just learned so much. I don't think anybody ever thought that there would be a market-wide test case in both the High Court and the Supreme Court that would take place in under 12 months. And the High Court found that Zurich's wording that was part of the test case did not respond to business interruption in relation to COVID-19. Although that has still meant that we've had to communicate with customers in as personal a way as possible and communicate a very difficult message. And so that hasn't been easy to accomplish, but I'm hugely proud of the team that we've had around us that have delivered exceptionally well th- throughout the last 18 months. From a personal perspective, I probably consider strategic thinking to have been a strength of mine about two years ago, or maybe up until February 2020. And having worked hugely closely with my exec colleagues in the UK and Tulsi Naidu and, and David Nichols and, and many others, I've realized just how many different layers there are to strategic thinking and thinking strategically in terms of trying to balance the very delicate issues of the customer, the regulator, the government, our own business, our own colleagues, and so many other interests. And hopefully the last 18 months will be a time that I'll be able to look back on in in a really proud way. But I suppose it's not just about looking back on it and saying, okay, well, we've done that. I very much look at it as saying, this is what we've done. But throughout this process, this is all of the things which I've learned, which will hopefully stand me in really good stead for the future. Thankfully, the pace of things has slowed down a bit now. But I think it's fair to say that the insurance industry as a whole is going to be involved with COVID-19 business interruption insurance for a very, very long time to come. And no doubt there'll be plenty more litigation, which insurers will have to, to work their way through.
0: So Charlie, I, I can tell you from personal experience, what you've just gone through in the last 18 months will make you better and stronger. And you will have learned so much. You will reflect in the years to come on how this has affected your career in a positive way. So your head of property and energy claims at Zurich. What do you enjoy most about that? And please don't tell me it's about the power.
1: No, it's definitely not about the power, Barry. I mean, number one would just be the variety of what we do as a team. There's over a 100 of us in our property construction and, and energy team. And we deal with everything from, you know, a smashed window at a, a chip shop in South End on a Saturday night, right through to some of the world's largest, most complex and headlining grabbing events that, that take place. And, you know, that's aside from COVID. If I'm honest, Barry, one of the things which I really enjoy about leading a high performing team is actually being in a position where I can challenge the status quo and people tend to occasionally listen and the status quo I think has been the fact that claims divisions are there to handle claims and losses once they've been suffered and personally I don't tend to agree with that and and we've set a strategy for our team which perhaps ironically is kind of the reverse which is that I see our primary objective as a team and actually more broadly as a business, as being there to help prevent our customers from suffering losses in the first place. But inevitably, when they do occur, which they always will, there will always be a need for an insurance product or a risk transfer product of some type, then clearly, we need to be able to work together with the customer to put them back into the position that they were in before they suffered a loss. And I think on the first of those two points, we have hugely unique insight into what goes wrong across many industries within the our business and society and and we're trying to use that insight to help educate our customers around certain risks and, and how to mitigate against those and a good example from very recently would be that we've seen a number of claims arise from poorly installed solar panels and that's been across all different sectors personal lines with people installing solar panels on the roofs of their homes through to small businesses looking to become more sustainable right through to very large commercial customers of ours. And I think it's through that sort of insight that we, we need to use that to then educate and inform our wider customer base against some of the risks of things like the installation of solar panels. But I could have chosen many other examples of this as well in order to prevent those things happening. And I think we should be looking as an industry to front load the claims process. And by that, I don't even necessarily mean the claim itself we're doing large loss scenario workshop planning with our customers where we ask them what keeps them awake at night and then we'll sit down and talk them through how the policy would respond in the event that such a, a loss occurred and we often take it for granted that we're so familiar with how to manage claims but thankfully many of our customers have never experienced those losses before and building that trust and that relationship at the very outset for me is, is hugely important and I think one of the other things which I've really enjoyed about my role, or I enjoy about my role, and again, it's probably all part of working with Zurich as an industry, is just around using technology as a really fantastic enabler to to kind of enhance the customer's experience and, and outcomes. We've recently partnered with a company called Sprout AI, which you may have seen in some of the trade press. From my perspective, we should be using technology far more effectively to augment our claims handlers in making better decisions more quickly and ultimately responding to lower value claims much more quickly and and ultimately looking to get to a process where we can fast track the the claim to a settlement in a matter of minutes or perhaps more realistically hours at the moment or, or perhaps a few days.
0: So allied to that question, tell me what you enjoy most about being a leader.
1: So I suppose a number of the things that I've talked about already Barry are the things which I really enjoy about leading teams of people and I guess everybody's going to have a slightly different response to this but for me it's about using the platform of being a leader let's just call it that a a platform for being a leader as a way of creating an environment for positive change and I don't just mean that in terms of moving the business forward positively but I think also one of the, the biggest aspects of leadership is about trying to get the best out of your team. I really enjoy trying to create high performing teams and I'm hugely fortunate that just yesterday we we found out that we had received an extremely positive feedback to a recent audit which we had had carried out and and that was hugely rewarding in terms of knowing that everything which we've been doing over the course of the last 18 months in a time where I suppose you'd have been cut some slack for dropping the ball if you like we haven't done that. And the team are absolutely aligned to our strategic priorities, which is something I've really enjoyed doing. Setting strategic direction for teams and and functions is something that I've really enjoyed. Although, as I did say earlier, my experience of leading the business through this COVID pandemic over the course of the last 18 months has made me realise that there's an awful lot more I can learn in respect of setting strategic direction. And it's something I look forward to kind of continuing. But I also don't believe that you are only a leader when your job title kind of indicates that you can be one. I very much see leadership as a behavior and I really hope that within our team and with the leadership team that I work really closely with that we have created an environment where people have the autonomy to feel like they're a leader irrespective of of their job title and one of the nice things about working in claims and particularly in the subscription market is that perhaps without even realizing it people our leaders where they have a lead line on a slip or where you ensure a risk 100% as we do in other large parts of our business. You are leading and you're making decisions and you're working with the customer and all of those sorts of things. I, I actually tried to remove job titles from within our business a few years back because I personally think that they restrict people's thinking around what it is that they do day to day. And I also think that it it restricts how other people perceive individuals within the business. I don't really want to see ourselves as just a claims group of individuals within the organisation. I like to see people as being somebody that works within our property, construction and energy team that happens to have a specialism in claims or a specialism in underwriting or a specialism in risk engineering. But when we're at our strongest is when we come together as a group of individuals, with all of our expertise and demonstrate them to the customer. And I think in those sorts of instances as a business, we're, we're second to none.
0: Okay, so I get that. You sort of talked about positive change. And I wonder, in terms of any plans you've got for the future at Zurich, is there anything that you're looking at that are quite excites
1: you? Well, I suppose you probably better ask the senior folks within Zurich, many of whom I'm sure you know well as to what I might be up to next. I genuinely really enjoy the role that I do. I I look around our organization and at times, of course, I'm ambitious and I look forward to kind of furthering my career within Zurich. But I also look around and and think how many jobs or roles within our business can give me the level of enjoyment and challenge that I get day to day doing what I do. And I think there's a little bit of unfinished business within the team. I think from a COVID perspective, there's more that I'd like to see accomplished before I look around the corner. But I'm always open to discussions internally. And and as I said earlier, you know Zurich is a business that is so large that there are opportunities that pop up all over the place. And, and I think one's got to be open to, to hearing what they might be.
0: Okay. So just looking at something in a very basic way, what do you think makes a great claims handler?
1: Wow. I think that's an interesting question because if you had asked me that, Probably as recently as five years ago, I think I'd have given you an extremely different answer. I don't think it's necessarily a geography graduate from a red brick university, which is what I was back in, in 2005, although that's not to say that it can't be one of those individuals. But I just think that the evolution of technology and data analytics and the need to support our customers through omni-channel approaches and all that kind of stuff just suggests to me that I think the skill set required of a claims professional is changing, or if I'm probably really honest, I think it's already changed. The market has a global reputation, particularly in London, of being absolutely market leading when it comes to dealing with high value, complex losses anywhere around the globe. But I personally think that's what we do really well. I very rarely see a very large, very complex claim go wrong. That's probably a very bold statement, which I might come to regret one day, but I really don't. I think the problem is that we tend to apply that approach to managing all claims. And I think there's a very wrong perception within our industry that we only deal with large and complex losses and multi-million, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of of claims. And that's just not the case. We, We did a piece of work a while ago across the market looking at the single claims agreement party arrangements. And what that told us through some fairly simple analysis was that I think it was something like 85% of claims in the London market are below £250,000 and they only make up 4% of the total value of the claims in the London market. Mm. And yet the average Time that those claims remained open for was something extraordinary, like four hundred days, and that to me tells me that something is broken. And I know that the future at Lloyd's and the, the claims blueprint is is looking to change that. And I'm you know really privileged to be on the board of that group of individuals. But I personally believe that going back to the skill sets of what's required, we need people that are far more analytically minded, people that understand data, someone who understands customer expectations and relationships. I think they're the people that are best placed to support this initiative. And as I say, I already touched on what we're doing within Zurich with Sprout AI around seeking to settle claims in hours. And and Lemonade is an example that plenty of people will be familiar with where they've settled claims in a matter of seconds. And I just think that we really need to Change our attitude towards settling lower value claims, which might come as a surprise to many people, but that is the vast majority of what we do. And and I'm also of the view that if we don't sort ourselves out within our claims function, the reality is that the products and the services that we offer as an industry will simply look to cut the whole claims process out. And you've only got to look at what we're doing around parametric insurance within our industry to realize that if that's the future, then there is no need for a claims function at all. So if we want to retain a claims function, then we need to move with the times and we need to embrace technology to be able to provide customers with the sorts of service which we all have come to expect in our personal lives through the likes of Uber and Airbnb and eBay and plenty of other big ticket industries that we all turn to because we know that we'll get an order that we buy on Amazon at nine o'clock in the morning will come through our letterbox in the same day. And you don't have to pay postage. But if you wanted to buy something that was much more of a complex product, then you would probably look to go to a shop. Similarly to the supermarket. You know, if you want to buy five things, you take your basket, you do self-checkout, you walk out the door in 30 seconds, one in 100 people get checked that they're not being fraudulent. If you go and do your weekly shop, then you probably want to go and speak to somebody who's going to have a conversation with you for the five minutes. They're going to offer you the service to pack your bags, and then you're going to walk out but you're prepared to accept those sorts of compromises because you're going in to make a bigger purchase. And I think that's the approach which we need to adopt as an industry to claims and also not just claims, but underwriting and and many of the other services which we offer.
0: Well, Charlie, there's been a lot lot of changes since the 1980s, but I never knew or or thought it would come down to sprouts and lemonade. So (laughs) let's move on to the next question. I think this is a really interesting one for all the interviewees. Tell me, who have been the greatest influences on on your career?
1: There's a few people. The first person would probably be embarrassed to hear me say it, but I suppose I look back at that role that I did at Chaucer for seven years and it will stay with me for a very long time. I was given far too much opportunity, if I'm honest, From a really early stage in my career, I did a secondment to Singapore shortly after we had opened up our office. I traveled loads. I was involved in claims which really should have been handled by somebody with way more experience than I was. But I had a fantastic kind of mentoring arrangement and a brilliant set of colleagues. And so much of that comes down to the way in which Tony Gates led that team. I learned an awful lot about what I enjoyed as an individual. But I suppose perhaps without even realizing it, I learned an awful lot about leadership as well. And and there was a moment that Tony probably won't even remember this, but it stuck with me to this very day. And, and I remember going to America with Tony and probably one or two others, and we met a CEO of a very big oil and gas organization. And I had been in the organization probably for about 18 months, two years maybe. And Tony introduced me. He was the head of claims at the time, and he introduced me as being his colleague, and he said, Bob, you know, great to see you meet my colleague, Charlie. And I didn't really think a great deal of it at the time. But I remember then going to a cocktail party, probably a year later and listening to another person who I know, introducing their colleague to somebody and saying, this is Dave, he works for me. I never really appreciated how I felt at the time when Tony introduced me as a colleague. But it was when I heard that other person being introduced as somebody who worked for him And I remember saying to myself that I would never speak to anybody like that. I'd never treat anybody like that. And I always looked up to the way in which Tony respected his team, the people he worked with. He always saw everybody as a colleague and never saw anybody in a hierarchy or or anything like that. So as I say, that was really very influential on me at the time as somebody that had always aspired to be a leader in a professional environment, which is obviously what, what I've achieved. Within Zurich, there are... A number of individuals that I've been hugely fortunate to work really closely with. Not only have they inspired me, but I suppose probably really importantly, they've also given me the autonomy and the space to inspire myself. And I'll probably be I'm hugely appreciative to the likes of James Nicholson and and David Nichols, and also Tulsi Naidu, who was our CEO until recently before she moved on to a role in APAC. And then I suppose a final individual would be somebody like. Leo Dixon, who encouraged me to join Zurich, um, always gave me, and still does actually give me, despite Leo leaving, which was also quite convenient of him to leave at the time that he did leave, because it meant that I was able to step up and take the role that Leo was in. But Leo's always given me a hugely constructive challenge and and thinking, and he's been very influential on my career up, up to this point. I talk to
0: Leo regularly and he only ever says great things about Zurich. And I've told him we'll be interviewing him later on in the year. So uh, maybe we'll hear whether you were an influencer towards him as well. Let's just move on a little bit. So in terms of high points and low points in your career, anything you wanted to tell the audience?
1: We probably touched on it already, Barry. I mean, the last 18 months probably for me. At times last year, there were some pretty long... Dark days, quite literally dark days, going through the winter and a Supreme Court appeal. And I think I got a a taste of what it was like to work in the legal industry of doing 18 hour days on regular occasions. But as I said earlier, looking back, I suppose I can probably also look at it as a real high point. And I certainly don't want my career to be defined by COVID, but it's probably been the single most profound period in my career. And much like technology that's supposedly accelerated five to 10 years in the last 18 months, I think my personal development has probably accelerated hugely as a result of the environment which we were thrown into and and had to manage our way through which just nobody had ever really anticipated so that'd be my answer to your question. I
0: I mean I know you've had to call on MDD through that process and they would probably have great empathy with pretty much everything you said there. Before we get to the fun stuff in terms of any aspirations for the future any thoughts?
1: I, I don't intend to retire in the role that I'm doing today, Barry. And so I have aspirations to continue to progress my career in in our industry, but at the moment, absolutely no reason not to continue to do that within Zurich. I'd love to be a Chief Claims Officer one day, but as I said earlier, I'm also open to opportunities outside of claims and looking elsewhere within our organisation. And I think mm. there are going to be so many roles that in 10 years' time within businesses like Zurich and other insurance companies, and, and, and frankly, anywhere else in business, that we don't even know what they are today. So I wouldn't say that I've identified a role and said in three years' time, that is the role that I want because there's every possibility that that role doesn't exist in three years and something completely different does. So the way I try to look at this sort of thing is to say, what are the things I really enjoy doing about the role that I do? What are the areas that I'd ideally like to develop in another role? And then consider what might be available in the overall business empire rather than saying mm. that is the exact role that I'm after. And then you end up kind of um, relying on rather a lot of other things which are entirely outside of your control to make that happen. So that, that that's how I tend to look at these sorts of things. But uh, I do aspire to Chief Claims Officer, despite what I've just said about not identifying a role.
0: I am certain Zurich have great plans for you. We'll see. We'll be watching. So you've given us some really sincere and thought-provoking views about your career and what's going on at Zurich and and lots of claims insights. Let's do some fun stuff now and, and talk about what you do outside of work. So what would you enjoy most away from your desk?
1: Well, you can see behind me, but your listeners won't, but I've got two bikes hanging on my wall. So I'm sports mad. I, I did a marathon with my brother on the weekend that's just gone down in Hampshire near where he lives, which was great fun. And I beat him as well, which was also quite satisfying. So so that was, that was good. I'm sport mad, but I've also got uh, a five-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter and a fantastic wife. So home is really important. I can't say I terribly enjoyed when my children were really young but now they're at a, a cracking age and and we have you know great weekends and school holidays are a lot of fun as well but they do also test your patience the regulator and the high court on occasions being easier to manage than my five-year-old and my three-year-old so
0: I can empathize with you there we've got a, a new young granddaughter and I have to keep on reminding my son and his partner about the reason why we have a cupboard under the stairs You know, hopefully they'll be less noisy when they get a little bit older. We'll see. Right. Uh, Now we're going to do the fun bit. And the fun bit, as you know, is a quick fire round. Uh, I'm going to shout some words out to you and you're going to tell me which words you identify most with. We might just check why, but uh, this is meant to be a short and snappy round. So football or rugby?
1: Rugby, but it's hard to ignore football right now.
0: Okay, you took a long time to think about that. I'm expecting quicker answers. Try harder. TV or radio? TV. This is going to be painful, I can feel it. BBC or ITV? ITV for the Tour de France highlights. Okay. that must be on soon. It must be on soon. Fantastic. I love it. Uh, A new question. Teams calls or in-person meetings?
1: Time and a place for both. Can Uh, I say that? No, I want one or the other. Uh, Teams calls, more productive. Meat or veg? Meat. Work or holidays? Holidays, but there's a healthy
0: combination of the two. No, you had to defend your answer there. I think Martin Clark just said holidays and that was it. Disco or rock? Rock. I'd love a bit of disco. I can't believe it's rock. You're a bit of a headbanger, are you? Foo Fighters, all day long. Foo Fighters? Yeah, I can live with that. Oh, well, this might be a struggle. I don't know. 1980s or 2020s? 2020s.
1: I don't remember the 1980s.
0: Just like John Sargent. If you were probably a baby or something.
1: I've got but to at change this But question. at least I've got a TV, Barry. Well, that is true. Harley or Porsche or cycling? cycling. But maybe if you ask me that question in 20 years time, I'll be able to answer Porsche.
0: Okay. Thanks for your very carefully answered responses there. The agony is almost over now, Charlie. If you'd not got into insurance, ideally knowing what you know now, what career would you have got into?
1: An engineer in the oil and gas industry.
0: God, I thought it was going to be something exciting and interesting.
1: It's a realistic answer. I mean, I could have said I'd like to have been the Wimbledon tennis champion, but then let's get real. Uh, no, I, I've found that the, the 15 years I've spent doing energy and, and and construction losses, I find the offshore oil and gas industry staggering. My wife works in that industry, and some of the work that, that she's involved with is just unbelievable in terms of building entire towns in deep water. It's just it's staggering. So if I had my time again. Barry, and insurance wasn't an option, I'd be an engineer in the offshore oil and gas industry. Final answer.
0: Okay, well, what it does tell me is that that ambition to be a shipbroker really did fall flat and, and you ended up doing something far more interesting. Charlie, it's been great talking to you. You've been a great interviewee, a million, million times better than Martin Clark. I hope he listens to this and learns how to answer these questions properly. I think you're a credit to Zurich. And it's been great fun having you on the show. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks very much for the opportunity, Barry. Greatly appreciate it.